How are you doing? Good to see you. Do you know, I was very blessed during the worship, were you? I was very encouraged. I was encouraged um, with just the way that the Mark and the band led us. It was really great. And I was also encouraged as I was looking around and I was just seeing how much blessing the Lord has poured out upon many of you here. And I was just so encouraged to see that. It's true, isn't it? We saw a photograph of Lucas just now, and that's the blessing of the Lord, isn't it? Our children are the blessing of the Lord. It may not feel like it sometimes, but <laughs> let me reassure you, they are where they are. So today we're going to start a series on Jonah, and I'm going to be reading chapter 1. I'm going to be talking about that. And so let's uh, turn to Jonah chapter 1. And uh, it's, a, it's a very easy book to read. You can read it in one sitting. There's only four chapters. And... Uh, Around Jonah as well, some of the other prophetic books are very short as well. So if you've never dipped into the Old Testament, then it's a good place to to have a look. So let's read Jonah chapter 1. And it goes like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what, shall we do? what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up. And throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Well, that's the first chapter of Jonah. Very exciting story it is too. But let's face it, I mean, come on. Jonah being swallowed by a fish, what's that all about? Come on, it's got to be some kind of myth, surely. Some kind of fairy tale. 
or a pictorial story, I wonder. However, when you look at the Old Testament, you see there's some other strange things happen in the Old Testament. For example, an iron axe head, which sinks in a river, then begins to float. Come on. What's that about? Or you get the people of Israel coming out of Egypt, and they come to the Red Sea, and the Red Sea parts before them. Hello? What's that got to do with things? Or coming to uh, Joshua, as Neil mentioned, you know, go around the city and the great city walls fall down with a shout. What, no battering rams? No catapults? All you have to do is shout and it will fall down? Come on. Or we go further than that. We see Jesus as well in his ministry. There's water. I can't do it, unfortunately. (laughs) But Jesus turns the water into wine. You know, not only that, he raises the dead. What's it about? What are all these things about? What's Jonah and the great fish about? It's supernatural. It's not natural. So, I mean, can the God who made the cosmos also make a big fish to swallow a man? I was listening to a snippet on Radio 4 the other day, and there were some astrophysicists and I'm going to blind you with a bit of science at the mo- in a moment, okay? There were some astrophysicists discussing the nature of some things in the universe. And one of them was Professor Brian Cox. Some of you may know him. He sort of popularizes astrophysics on TV. And they were having this discussion. And the first quote I want to give you, they were talking about dark matter and dark energy. Okay, so get your brains working. Here's our first quote. It says, dark matter... Dark matter is a hypothetical kind of matter that cannot be seen with telescopes, but accounts for most of the universe's mass. The existence and properties of dark matter are inferred from its gravitational effects on visible matter, on radiation, and on the universe's uh, large-scale structure. Dark matter has not been directly detected, leaving it an astrophysical mystery. Did you get that? Okay. Let's have a look at the next one, which is dark energy. Dark energy. In physical cosmology and astronomy, dark energy is an unknown form of energy, which is hypothesized to permeate all of space, tending to accelerate the expansion of the universe. Well, if you're as baffled as I was when I read that, I'm not surprised. What they said was this, that the reason it's called dark matter and dark energy is simple. It's because we're in the dark about what it means. But they know that there's something out there. The God of the cosmos. Can he make a great fish to swallow a man? Come on. Jesus also treats Jonah's story as historical. He says in Matthew's gospel, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus obviously regarded this story of Jonah as historical. If you ask how a man can survive in the belly of a fish three days, the answer is this. He probably can't. Any more than a person can stay dead in a tomb for three days and be raised to life. That's why Jesus calls it a sign. It's a miraculous sign that God is at work. 
actually, there's no point in trying to explain it scientifically any more than saying, well, how did, what happened to the water to make it become wine? It was supernatural. It was miraculous. And what happens to Jonah is supernatural. It's extraordinary. It's out of the ordinary. It's unnatural because it's supernatural. Jesus says it's a sign because Jonah cried to the Lord and he was delivered from a certain death. Jesus cried to the Lord and he was delivered from death itself. It's a sign. And actually, it wasn't the size of Jesus' tomb that mattered. It was the fact that he was raised from the dead. And it wasn't the fact that Jonah was in a fish particularly that mattered. It was the fact that he was delivered from certain death by the Lord. So let's have a look at where this story takes place, shall we? Okay. So Jonah, we can read in another part of the Bible, came from this place here in Israel called Gath Hefer. And he was told to go to the city of Nineveh, which was the major city in Assyria at that time. And he disobeyed the Lord, and he didn't go to Nineveh, as we know. But he went to a place called Joppa, where there just happened to be a boat headed for Tarshish. Now, here's the Mediterranean Sea, and Tarshish is reckoned to be here in this part of southern Spain, which in those days would have been considered the edge of the known uh, planet at that time. So basically, Jonah was trying to get as far away from the situation as possible. This happened in about 780 to 755 BC. And the Exodus, by the way, would have been about 700 years before this incident with Jonah. So as I've thought about this, I thought, I'm sure that the consciousness of the Exodus would have still been in people's minds. We can, as a nation, remember some of our history 700 years ago. Certainly, if you're Scottish, you would remember some of the history 700 years ago. So if I said to you, for example, 1314, it would probably raise some thoughts in your head to do with Robert the Bruce, to do with the Battle of Bannockburn, and to do with the fact that the Scots defeated the English. Sorry about that, folks, man. Uh, at that time. So it's no wonder, actually, that when Jonah says to the sailors, and they ask him, where are you from? And he says, I'm a Hebrew. I should think when he said that, they were absolutely shocked to the core. Because I'm sure in those days, even 700 years later, they would have thought, oh no, this is the God of the Exodus we're dealing with. We are in big trouble here. Anyway, moving on. The first thing I want to get from this passage is this. That there is a call to share God's message. There is a call to share God's message. And we see it in verse 2 here, where Jonah is told, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, Nineveh, as I said earlier, was a major Assyrian city at the time. And the people there were renowned for their cruelty. If you don't like to hear some nasty things, then you might like to just put your fingers in your ears at this point in time because I'm going to describe some of the things that they did to the people that they captured. One, one of the things that they did was they flayed their skin off and then they tied it around pillars in order to promote fear in people. Another thing they did, which we've heard some of the barbaric acts recently in the Middle East, they cut people's heads off. And then they would make piles of them. Again, they would put them at the city gates in order to provoke fear in people's minds. So they were renowned as a cruel people. And they were also regarded as enemies of Israel. 
So I thought, well, what might the modern equivalent of that be today? Jonah is told, go to Nineveh. Go to this heathen people. Go to this barbaric people. Go to this people who are your enemies. What might be an equivalent today? I thought, well, perhaps it might be go to an ISIS stronghold and tell them to repent. Or it might be go to Pyongyang, the capital city of North Korea, and stand in their square and start to proclaim a message of repentance and go through the city and do that. As far as we know, Jonah was the only Old Testament prophet. He wasn't the only Old Testament prophet to prophesy against other nations. As far as we know, he was the only Old Testament prophet who was told actually to go into that nation and to prophesy a message of repentance there. So he prophesied as well during the reign of King Jeroboam II. You can read about that in 2 Kings 14. It's quite important really, I think, as part of the story because Jeroboam II was an evil king. He reigned for over 40 years, but he was evil. But at that time, the Lord was having mercy upon Israel and Jonah was able to prophesy some good prophecies in a bad time. So one of the things that Jonah prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II was this, that the borders of the nation were going to be extended. In other words, it's going to, they were going to be conquering. They were going to be winning, as it were. So now he's got to go to Nineveh and preach this, if you like, bad message. It wasn't bad. It was going to be good news. But nevertheless, it could be a dangerous mission. <clears throat> so the Lord t- tells Jonah to go. Now, it's interesting, in the early days of the church here, in the 1970s, the charismatic renewal, part of the emphasis, in fact, I would say, having lived through it, that the main emphasis for about, I don't know, 10, 15 years was about building the church. It was about making the church strong. It was about uh, renewal of the gifts of the Spirit. It was about recognizing and welcoming the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit in our midst. It was about recognizing that we are the body of Christ and that each person has got an important role to play. It was about getting church structure uh, established through eldership and who are the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and all that kind of stuff that was to do with the church almost looking in, how can we build the church? How can we make it strong? We obviously haven't abandoned that, but there's certainly been a much greater emphasis on what is going on out in the world. How can we influence it? How can we bring the good news to people around us? And we're trying to do that here. Hence the fact that we're going to Hazelmere on the 27th of March. Hence the fact that we want to be praying tonight. Because there is a calling on us to share God's message. No less than there was on Jonah to share God's message. So we're doing our Christians Against Poverty. We're doing our Wickham Homeless Connection. We're doing our Little Stars. We're doing our student work. We did some fantastic carol services to bring people in. We're doing Alpha. We're doing support to nations abroad because we're looking out where there is a call to share the good news. Now, I want to ask you a very personal question. Now, you know what it's like when you get up in the morning. I expect, can I just ask, if you're not that shy, to raise your hand if you actually looked in the mirror this morning. I should think most people did. Yeah, okay, that's nothing to be ashamed of. You know, you look in the mirror. I did. I was shaving, so I made sure I didn't want to cut myself and, you know, get my hair done and, you know, all that kind of little that I've got. Got to look after all the more. Uh, But I wonder, I wonder how many of you, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands this time, looked at your feet. You know, a few years ago, 
somebody made a very personal comment about my feet. They did. I was sitting there quite innocently. It might have been by a swimming pool. I can't remember. But I didn't have shoes and socks on. And they said to me, your feet are ugly. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Now, you've heard me say before, you can't take a 10-ton elephant across a 5-ton bridge. Well, fortunately, I've got a 10-ton bridge with this person. So they could take a 5-ton elephant across. They said, your feet are ugly. Actually, I looked at them. Hmm. And then I thought, actually, no, they aren't. My feet are not ugly. They're beautiful. They're beautiful feet. Do you know what? You've got beautiful feet. You have got beautiful feet. How do I know? I don't even need to see them. But I know you've got beautiful feet. And the reason is this. The Bible tells me so. The the prophet Isaiah says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. We have a call to share the good news with others. And you have been given beautiful feet by Jesus in order to do that. Now, little did I think as well that in my case, that would be literally fulfilled, where I had to use my feet to go to a place I'd never been before, and I had to do a lot of walking up and down, up and down, up and down mountains, higher, 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 breathless, breathless, because the air was thin, to a people that I'd never heard of before, never seen before, they'd never heard the gospel before. I didn't realize that my feet would be used for that. But it's not just about going somewhere exotic. Jonah was called to go somewhere exotic, if you like, but it's about recognizing that we all have a part to play in reaching others with the good news of peace, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's about doing it in the situation that you are in now. Are you a homemaker? Is that your principal role? Are you caring for others? Is that your principal role? Do you work in education or are you studying? Do you work in the health service? Do you work in an office? Whatever you may be doing, are you in the media? Do you work with computers? Whatever it is, whatever the call of God on your life at the moment, we're called to share the good news with others. Whether it's at the Hazelmere site or whether it's at the town center site, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. Jonah's name, by the way, means dove. And God wanted to send the dove of peace to Nineveh. The Lord wants to send you and me to those around us. So there's a call to share God's message. The second thing I want to say is you are part of God's plan. You're part of God's plan. Now, you might say, well, that's obvious. I know that already. It's true. However, sometimes we can disqualify ourselves. I'm not confident. I don't know what to say. I'm afraid of what people will think. It's not my gift. I'm not good enough. I get tongue-tied. I've got failings. I've got weaknesses. And of course, when we think those kind of things, Satan stands beside us and he says, yeah, you're absolutely right. In fact, they're worse than you're admitting. The prophecy Jonah was given, which we'll read about later in chapter 3, was only eight words long. And it was this, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Lord chooses to use flawed, imperfect human people to communicate His message. Flawed, imperfect people. Where are they? Where are they? 
Well, there's one on the stage for a start. Now just have a look around. Go on. That's it. Have a look around. There's a few around, yeah? God chooses to use flawed, imperfect human messengers. Jonah struggles with God's call on his life. Do you sometimes? And we see it, God being very patient with him. He wasn't the only prophet who resisted God's call. Moses, Jeremiah said, well, I I can't speak. Jeremiah said, I can't speak. I'm only a child. Why, why, Why me? Elijah says, I, just, I can't do any more. I've had enough. I want to die. And so God is, in a sense, he's used to people resisting him. Jonah, not only that, he's prejudiced. He doesn't want to go to that community there. They're aliens. They're foreigners. He doesn't want them to be part of his community. He's prejudiced. He's racially prejudiced. He's willful. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go the opposite direction instead. He's self-pitying as we'll see later on in the book. But God is very patient with him. He's not all bad, by the way, Jonah, because he does say, chuck me into the sea. But in verse 3, it says this, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, obviously, in one sense, you cannot flee from the Lord It's impossible. We can read that in Psalm 139. So what's he fleeing from? Well, he's fleeing from what God has obviously revealed him to do. I've called you to do this. And he flees from that. He also flees from enjoying the imminent presence of God. That's what he's fleeing from. He wants to get as far away as he can. And then he finds there's an open door. There's a ship. Aha. Just so happens to be a ship. Must be the Lord. There's a ship bound for Tarshish. Well, beware of ships bound for Tarshish. Satan has got a fleet of them. But God has got other plans in mind, and he sends a violent storm. I guess we all face storms from time to time in life. Yeah? Well, this time, there's a violent storm comes. I just want to say this. Not all storms are from the Lord, but this one is. I want to say a little bit more about storms. A storm came, if you read in the book of Job, and his children were in the house celebrating. And a storm comes upon the house. The house gets destroyed, and all the kids get killed. That storm wasn't from the Lord. Another storm comes where the apostle Paul is heading for Rome. And a storm comes, and they end up in the sea and shipwrecked, but no one dies. There's another storm on a lake in Galilee where the disciples are trying to get to the other side of the lake and a storm comes and they cannot cope with it. Do you face any storms in your life that sometimes you feel, I can't cope with this storm. I can't go on anymore. I want to tell you this. Jesus is in charge of all storms. He can say, peace, be still, as we see he did on the lake in Galilee. And any storms that you may be experiencing in life, the ultimate ruler of those storms is God himself, even in Job's case, so far and no further. But what does Jonah do? It says, Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. What's that all about? Well, his energy went. 
He became sluggish. He entered into a state of what I would call torpor. You know, he lost his mojo, if you like. And he fell into a deep sleep. It was really, it was a form of escapism. But God doesn't abandon Jonah. He doesn't say, okay, that's it. I've had enough. I'll find somebody else. There's, a, there's another decent prophet in Israel called Amos. I'll take him and I'll tell him to go to Nineveh. No, he doesn't. He pursues Jonah. So we are part of God's plan. You're part of God's plan. And yes, we've got weaknesses. Yes, we've got failures. Yes, we feel disappointed with ourselves from time to time because we haven't even lived up to the standard that we've set ourselves, let alone God's. Jonah certainly didn't. But the Lord persevered with him in a lovely way, even though there was a violent storm and it was unpleasant for him. It really, in the end, it was the absolute kindness of God. He could have just said, okay, you drown. That's, that's you finished, mate. I've had enough. But he doesn't. Why is it? Because God wants to bless the nations. Jonah disobeys because he's got wrong theology. God, you see, God loved to show grace to his enemies, even when Jonah didn't. <clears throat> God's plan and purpose was always to bless the nations. So, for example, through Abraham, he says, through you, Abraham, I will bless all the nations. So it was always God's purpose. God is more loving and more merciful than I think we give him credit for at times. And his mercy and his love is not simply for the Jews, but it was for the whole human race. Now, we're very blessed here at King's to have the nations coming to us. We did International Sunday not that long ago. And we you know, asked people to fill in what nation they were, they'd come from. And we had 48 different nations. Even this morning, I was speaking with someone. And I said, where are you from? They said they were from Nigeria. I said, where in Nigeria? I said, how do you say hello in your language? Esco something, is it? E- Help me out if you're from Nigeria. Huh? Ekaro. Ekaro, thank you. Ekaro. And there's three different ways of you know, depending on what time of the day it is. Uh, and I couldn't even remember any of them. I knew it began with eh. It's just not bad. <laughs> anyway, we have the nations coming to us. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, in the midst of the storms of life, and there are many storms in society at the moment, there's economic woes, there's insecurities caused by terrorism, there's wars, there's mass migration. What are people looking for in the midst of all of those things? Why are they fleeing war-torn places? They want to get to a place of safety. They want to come to a place where they feel secure. And it's the same here in this episode. In verse 5, it says, All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own god. And one of the gods of the time was a god called Baal. And Baal was reckoned to be the storm god, but he was totally useless and ineffective because he's no god at all. They were looking for solutions to the situation they were in. They were looking for solutions to the storms they were in. And society today is looking for solutions to the storms that we're going through. Here are a few of the solutions that the world has sought or still does. Communism. Here's a solution to the woes of the human race. Communism. We need everybody to be equal. The problem is some are more equal than others. Or fascism. We need a strong ruler. That's what we need. We need a strong ruler to give us direction who will lead us. 
Depends what direction you're heading there, doesn't it? And what your destination is going to be. Democracy. We need everybody to have a say in shaping the society. Yes, but what happens when the majority wants something which is not actually going to be good? As we've seen recently in our own nation with some of the laws that have been passed. Or ISIS. We want a Muslim caliphate. That's our solution. We want a Muslim caliphate. Well, I'll tell you what. Judging by what I've seen and heard, no thank you. I'd rather not. Or postmodernism. Truth is relative. You know, let's all live in harmony together. If you want to believe that, that's fine. Yeah, it's okay for you. I'll believe this. That's fine for me. That's okay until I say something that you disagree with. Then I get vilified. This happened recently with a head teacher who had the temerity to say that evolution was a theory. And uh, totally rubbish on social media. In our so-called postmodern age. The world doesn't have the answers. Because it's the human heart that needs changing. That's the problem. It's the human heart. And there's only one thing that can change the human heart. And that's the power of the gospel. There's Jonah. They're crying out to their gods. They're looking for a solution. Where's he? He's fast asleep in the boat. How can the church sleep when the world is in a mess? Jonah had to go and speak eight words. Eight words that would transform, in fact, an entire community. Eight words that would result in the biggest revival in human history. Eight words. I wonder what the Lord would like you and me to do. What words might he want you to speak even this week? What deeds might he like you to do in the small corner in which you find yourself today? Terry Virgo says this. Should come up. Here we go. When the church forgets her calling, when she turns her back on her obligation to the loss, she suffers a total loss of identity. Israel, you see, had both privileges. They were chosen by God. They had the covenant. They had the promises of God. They had the blessing of God. They had the privileges, but they also had the responsibilities. And it seems to me that one of the things that Jonah didn't want to do was he didn't want to fulfill the responsibilities. He wanted something of, yeah, I'm a Hebrew, and I serve the God who made heaven and earth, but actually I don't want to fulfill the responsibilities. Let's not be... Like Jonah. Because when Jonah responds to what the Lord wants him to do, huge blessing comes out as a result. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing? Sometimes we think, actually, I've only got, I've just got a little bit. I've just got a little bit I can do. But it's a bit like in the story of Elijah, isn't it? Where the woman, is uh, there's a famine and she's got a, a little bit of oil. What have you got, Elijah? Says, I've just got a little bit of oil here. Just a little bit. I'm just going to make a little cake for me and my boy, and that's it, and then we'll die. And Elijah says, well, just pour that into that jug. And she pours it, and uses it, and pours it, and pours it. And that little becomes a lot. Why? Because God is involved. Because God is involved. You see, you're not a natural person, ultimately, if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You're a supernatural person. 
because the Spirit of God is within you. And it may be that there's just a little thing that the Lord is asking you to do, seeking you to do. And maybe we're not going to see an amazing, fantastic response immediately. But who knows what little seed might be sown in someone's heart? Who knows what little grain of sand even might go into that person's heart, just like the grain of sand goes into the oyster. And the pearl is formed. It may be that the Lord has got things for you to do. Maybe it's a prayer. Maybe it's not even speaking to anyone. Maybe it's a prayer for someone. And maybe you're at the cusp of giving up. You say, well, I haven't seen. I haven't seen. And maybe the Lord would say, no. Just keep praying for that person. See, one of the things that we've said recently is this. Ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. That's who we are, aren't we? We're not superstars. We're ordinary people, but changed by Jesus. Why? So that we can change the world. Amen? Jonah was thrown into the sea to save the sailors. Jesus was thrown to the cross to save you and me and the entire human race. You'll probably never have to go to Nineveh, but the message is still the same, and the call of God is still the same, to go and make disciples of all nations, starting where we are now. Amen? Father, we pray that you will help us to fulfill our destiny. We pray that you will help us to fill our calling in our small corner, wherever that may be. Lord, we realize that we cannot do this without your help. But we thank you that you are more than willing to help us and that heaven is on our side because you want your kingdom to come. You want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us this week by the power of your spirit, to in some, maybe just a small way, Lord, share your good news with others. And we ask for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.